Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. Good morning to those of you that I haven't greeted yet. I believe that God does indeed have a message for us. But I want to thank mom and dad for entrusting me with this opportunity and for the platform that you guys create. And while dad has spoken about church plants and sowing seeds for churches, I want to just mention that in September and on the help me with the dates, it's the 8th to the 9th to 13th of September, we are going to Lesotho to go work on the church in Lesotho, which Frontline has been very instrumental in getting off the ground and making it happen. And so the invitation is to join us. Um, if you need more information afterwards, come speak to me, speak to Elder Almery. We'd love to have you there. And today... <laughs> I just sorry. Well, this week I was reminded of the words of the very old book of the city of A Tale of Two Cities from Charles Dickens, which is said it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch. Incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And through this week, I have fluctuated between hope and despair, between darkness and light. And there's been so many good news stories, and it's been amazing for me that. Every day you'd wake up and there would be from Tokyo somebody who had used the platform of a gold medal to bring glory to God. And people who have just given credit to God for the blessings that have been bestowed on them and the talents that he's given them. And there's no seeking the glory for themselves. Um, this morning I woke up and the first thing I saw, I didn't watch the rugby last night, was the headline of Sia Khaleesi, a man of faith, who led the Springboks to this massive victory last night. It had little to do with the rugby, but it had everything to do with what he believed. And there's just been this platform where God has been elevated. There's been this platform where God has been in the forefront of the world's minds and ears, no matter how they try to avoid it. And it's been exciting. But then there's been other times where the converse is true. And I, believe I belong to a four by four forum, and have been for a long time, and it's a moderated forum, and it's of like-minded people. And it is how I eventually got connected with Frontline, okay? Is because many years ago, we needed to get stuff to Lesotho, and we were short of vehicles, and I put a request for help. And Dad and Jared and Almery came along and joined us to get stuff to Lesotho and to be, become part of the, what we do there. And it's been that kind of support structure. But in the last while, somebody posted a charity trip that they need four by four vehicles for because they were taking relief to rural villages that had suffered as a result of the looting. And they couldn't get the stuff there with normal trucks, etc. And they needed people who were willing to help with four by fours and there would be opportunity to go and play in 4x4, which is what every guy with a 4x4 wants to do. And if you can use it to do something good in the process, it's just an extra bonus. Okay, and so, but what, what followed, what followed, man, was just the most 
horrifically. Because instead of people putting up their hands and saying, we'll help you, we had people berating this guy and saying, we refuse to be part of this. Your timing is off. There's just, people have come with a hardened heart, a heart of, of stone to a need that our country is facing. And it is the most horrific thing. But the worst is some of those people I know personally. I know that today some of those people are sitting in a church. Others, over the years, even though I haven't met them, have become pillars of the, not only the online community, but of their own community. People who are rational, rational and reasonable people. Some people who are the voice of reason in, when there seems to be no reason have said no. We can't help. We will not help. And I, I struggled with God. I was thinking, God, where do we go to as a country? Where does this leave us as a people? Where's the hope of this nation? And God led me to Luke 11, verses 15 to 32, which is the story of the prodigal son. And again, but I want to preempt this by saying, yeah, the plea of the father. And I want to say, South Africa, yeah, the plea of the father. Frontline, yeah, the plea of the father. And so if we can turn to Luke 11 verses 15 to 32. And then Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in, in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, we pray, Lord, that you bless this word to us now. Father God, I come now and I surrender myself into your care. I pray, Father God, that your spirit will speak through me. Father God, that you bring revelation, new light, and new hope. In Jesus' name. And so, as we look at the youngest son, when he asks his father for his inheritance, he's essentially saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I have no more need for you in my life. Give me what is rightfully mine. I don't want to wait until you die. And so, he says to his father, you are dead to me. But what the father does is the most amazing thing. He's, he gives him free choice. And he says to him, no problem. I'll honor your request. And so his father separates or divides his estate between the two brothers. And the younger one takes a couple of days and takes everything and sets off. The father doesn't stop him. The father gives him the choice to go. And the, in Jewish tradition, that kind of disobedience, that kind of rebellion was punishable by death. Okay, Jewish customs would have demanded that that father would stone that child to death. Okay, in fact, the community would have got involved and helped in that process. Because their justice looked like discipline. Justice looked like the world today is looking for justice. It looks like punishment. It looks like blood. It looks like pain. It looks like suffering. But this father says no and sits, lets him go. But because of the Jewish traditions and the community watching out, because they're a community, it takes a community to raise a child. Okay, so they looked out for each other. The son had to go to a distant land because his reputation went with him. My mother always said to me as a small child, beware your name goes ahead of you. And this guy would have known that the Bush Telegraph would have flowed and spoken to the fact that he was the rebellious one. He was the one who disowned his father. So he made his way into a foreign land, into a distant land where nobody knew him. Where he had no citizenship and he had no right to belong. But what happened is he went out living the glamorous life. He was, went out in, going out in the ritz until his friends ran out because his money ran out. And when the money ran out, his inheritance ran out, he got to the end of his tether. And when he had no more money, he lost hope. And in desperation, he, gives him, he sells himself to the highest bidder, which is a pig farmer. And he feeds the pigs. He went from this massive inheritance to living like a slave below the promise, below the breadline. Eventually, he was so hungry that he desired the food that the pigs were eating. But the farmer who he was working for was more concerned about his pigs than he was about him. And it became a pig-eat-pig -pig world or a dog-eat-dog -dog world for him. It was a struggle for survival. And eventually he realizes that he's better off by his father than, on his, than being left to his own devices. And I want to suggest to you today that what we saw in this country three weeks ago was a people who have walked away from the father. We saw a godless nation, a godless people in a distant land who had turned their backs on God long time ago. We've seen people who have lost hope in a land with a famine, where hunger prevails and the, the only, when the opportunity presented itself, they took it. Because you see, they were slaves to the pig farmers. They were slaves to those people who incited the violence.
They were slaves to those people who had a hidden agenda. And they looked into the big sty and in their loneliness and in their despair. And they chose to eat with the pigs. And they chose to eat with the pigs. The son had the same choice. But because he knew the father, he knew that the servants at his father's house at least had a plate of food and a roof over their heads. And so he made his way back. Many of these people who lashed out, acted out, didn't know how to get back. What it has highlighted for us is that the harvest field is ripe for the picking. Before we judge those who acted and lashed out in, the, in this country, where were we to be the voice of reason? Where were we to be the alternative? And so when my friends say they're not going to help with relief, when the problem happens again because people are desperate and hungry, where were we when we could have made a difference? Pastor Wendy spoke about the church having failed. The church has failed because there aren't people who are counter-revolutionary because apparently this whole thing is a counter-revolutionary issue between politicians. But Jesus was the most counter-revolutionary person that walked the earth. He challenged the Roman Empire. He challenged the religious leaders. He challenged the authorities of the day. Yet we have a church that is silent. But we are concerned when we reap the fruit of the harvest. And so, I want to look at the response of the father. It says, the father rushes to him when he's still a long way off. And he runs to him with a heart of compassion. You see, when he left, the father never stopped looking out for him. He would sit on his bed every morning and look down the dusty road to see if he can see a dust storm that indicated his son coming home. We have seen a massive dust storm. A cloud of smoke hangs over our country because there weren't enough feet to put the Father's compassion into action. And so the dust and the smoke can stink, stink over this country because we lost the heart of the Father. Because you see, the Father never stopped looking for him. The father never stopped longing for him to come back. And as we see pain and destruction around us, the father prompts us to say, I need feet for under my compassion. But when he sees him in the distance, he runs out and he throws a robe around his filthy, dirty body. He doesn't say to him, come and get washed. Come, let me take you, let me clean you up. He puts the finest garment on the broken body. And he offers him protection from the elements. He offers him protection from that which has dirtied him. He offers him a way, he makes him presentable to the community that was going to judge him. For the community that wanted to stone him, he makes him presentable. And then he goes, and he doesn't stop there because moments later he rushes and he puts a ring on his finger. The last person who put a ring on my finger was my wife because it meant I was hers. We had a covenant together. A covenant that cannot be broken. 
Jesus puts a ring on this guy's finger and he makes a covenant with him and he says, you are my son. The only person who can take this off is you. There's a covenant. Your sonship has been restored. Your sonship has been restored. And so when the community stand up with their stones and they say, we want to see justice, we want to see justice, the father says, no, this is my son. There's nothing to see here. I've accepted him. Justice has been done because he came home. And then the son is overwhelmed. I can only imagine by this outrageous, reckless love of the father that he falls to his feet. He falls to his knees in this embrace of the father and he says to his servants, bring him shoes. Put sandals on his feet. On his bloodied, blistered, dirty feet. Because you see, only a slave didn't have shoes. And he arrived there without shoes. And he sets him free from everything that held him captive. Everything that he had encountered in the distant world, in a distant land that had held him captive, that could keep him in bondage, the Father sets him free in that moment. And each of those actions just endorsed the legitimacy of the son's sonship. Because you see, to have a ring without the robe is incomplete. To have a ring and a robe but no shoes is incomplete. So he adorns the son with his finest. And then he goes one step further, and he tells his servants to prepare the fattened calf for sacrifice. Because you see, the fattened calf was always the one that they kept for the family sacrifices. The way you slaughter the sacrificial calf is different to the way you would slaughter it for the, for the pot. So they prepare this and in that moment of that sacrifice, the Father is saying, I have forgiven you. And he institutes a banquet. And he invites the community who wanted to stone him. He says, come, come, be part of this. My son has returned. Come and celebrate with me. It is a festive opportunity. Sorry. But you see, Jesus didn't just tell the story as a random example. He knew that this was going to be a lived reality until he comes again. This is my story. This was my story. I met Jesus when I was in high school. When I went, went, into, the, I went into the army as a Christian, I came out as the prodigal son. I went into a distant land. And then at some point, I encountered God. And what did he do? He put a robe on my dirty body. He put a ring on my finger. He put shoes on his feet. But not only did he do that, he repurposed my pain. I was broken and bruised, 
when I went looking for him. I was insecure. I was struggling to feed my family. I, I just prior to that, uh, we were struggling to pay our bonds, so we had to ask Amanda's stepfather to help us, which he did. But he brought the money himself. He gave it to Amanda, and he took me outside in my own garden under our tree, and he said to me, the best you can do for your family is to leave them. I was broken. My self-worth destroyed. And I went on a retreat. Not knowing much about retreats or why I was there, but I was there. And I met the God of Second Chances. I met the Father who took my brokenness and he turned it into purpose. And so today, I want to say to you, if you're sitting here, if you're sitting in your lounge at home, if you have turned your back on God, if you have walked away to a distant land, and you stand there and you're staring into the pits of loneliness, the darkness of a world you don't belong in, if you're searching for answers to feed your family, if you don't know how to make ends meet, if you're searching for identity and purpose, then come back to the Father. Come back to the Father. He's waiting for you. Because you see, when you left, when you left, He never stopped looking for you. And today the Father is calling your name. The Father, filled with compassion, is speaking to you in your lounge, in your brokenness and your pain, in your lack of self-worth, in your lack of identity, in your lack of purpose. Come to Him. Then he put a robe on your shoulders, a ring on your finger, and shoes on your feet. Let him turn your pain into purpose. Let him give you a new vision. But just like me, he doesn't leave you there. He gives you a mantle to make a difference. Our world needs people who know what it's like in the distant land. So can we pray together? Father, we come today, Lord, and we say, Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for we have sinned against you and against heaven. Father, today we want to give feet to our intent to come back to you. Father, we stand now, Lord, and we just say, here I am. I have failed you, Lord. And I want you to hear the Lord say, my son, my daughter, you're always mine. I have taken your sin on the cross. I've died for you, and I've given you life again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But you see... We stop, too often we stop the story there. 
And it goes on to talk about the elder son. And what it speaks, what is noticeable for me, is that the disobedience and the rebellion of the younger son is described in seven verses. But the hardened heart of the elder son is also described in seven verses. That which we think as we sit in our comfortable chairs in a warm church is shocking. Is actually a poorer reflection on who we are. You see, the lost son is received with compassion and celebrated. The father is placed in a similar position by the older son. Except the, the father ran to the, young, to the younger son when he was still far away. The father has to meet the older son in his backyard. There by the servants' quarters. Drawn away from the festivities and the sacrifice that's going on inside. And the father had to go and plead. He had to go and plead with the older son. And so today I urge you to hear the plea of the father because you see, the younger son didn't have to plead for forgiveness. The father didn't have to plead for the younger son to come home. He just had to wait. The younger son just had to take action. I want to suggest to you today that when it says he met him far away, he met him in the distant land. All the younger son had to do was to turn around and to say, I'm going home. But the eldest son is at home. The eldest son is at home. And the father has to plead with him. Come inside. Come inside. As parents, we've all known, we all know the futility and the heart exhausting it is to have to plead with your children to do something that I'd want to do. And yeah, this God of compassion, this overwhelming love, is standing pleading with the child with a hardened heart. But the end result is different. The father walks away and leaves the elder son outside. Because you see, sometimes it's easier to change your mind than to change your heart. It's easier to walk away from the sins of the flesh, which are a result of the mind, than it is to walk away from the sins of the heart. So today, just as my friends who chose not to go along on a charity drive have chosen to harden their hearts, let us not make the same mistake. On the face of it, the son seems to have it all together. He stayed be home when the, old, when the younger son, the rebellious son, left. He worked hard in the fields. He was morally upstanding because he could identify what his younger brother had done was wrong. He was conscientious. He looked after the, the interests of the father in all that he did. But as we read further, we get a different picture. A different picture of the son. It says the elder brother became angry and refused to go in. 
Not only did he get angry, but he sulked. Sat outside sulking because his brother had come home. If we are not celebrating every salvation, if we are not going out to find the lost, then what are we doing? If we are not sitting with the Father on his bed, looking out the window for this dust, the speck of dust that indicates that the sun is coming home, then what are we doing? I would be wrong if I said to you, there aren't things that get me angry. There are triggers in my life that happen and I get myself righteous anger out. And, but what are your triggers? What are your triggers in this church today? What are your triggers that anger you in this community? What are the things that make you sulk and say, I'm not going back? You see, there is self-righteous anger and there is righteous anger. When Jesus cleared the temple, he was doing it for his father because they turned the temple into what it wasn't. But it was never intended to be. But that was once that Jesus acted in anger. When Pastor Ut and these guys stand up and they speak out against the church that's being persecuted, that is to protect the interest of the Father. But when your anger is protecting your own interest, it is self-righteous and is not justifiable. So when you sit in your anger and have your pity party, it is not time to point fingers. But it's time to say what's going on in my heart. Because we all have our triggers. You see, self-righteousness is always evident with justification. Now I have my pet sins and I can justify them. I mean, after all, I go to Lesotho and I build churches and I do mission work and I do evangelism. Surely I'm entitled to some kind of pet sin. Surely I can do this. Surely God can understand that I've been working in the fields, that I reap the harvest, and I can do a little bit of that. Just that small taste of the world out there. If you are justifying your actions, you need to examine your heart today. But then the son goes on and he, he lashes out with contempt at the father. And he says to him, the son of yours. He's nothing of mine. He's yours. You deal with him. Who are you not prepared to talk with? Who are you not prepared to deal, speak, witness to? Who makes you uncomfortable? Who makes you turn and stand somewhere else? I oh, know not, not, not that guy here ago. So you were the looter. I can't speak to you. You go hungry because you decided to do this. I have no compassion for you because you have just come out of prison. Whatever. I don't know what your issues are. What are those things that make you uncomfortable? I have mine. Okay, I'll be honest. I have a thing for vegetarians. No, no. <laughs> sorry. <coughs> no, uh, that was a joke. Okay. Vegetarians are fine. Uh, I've even led one or two to Christ. But we come with prejudice and bias. In a country as diverse as ours, with a country with a history like ours, and a country with politicians like ours that seek to divide and 
At every, at every, every time you turn the news, there's somebody saying, it's their fault, it's my fault, it's not their fault. Whatever, okay? What is your prejudice? What is your bias? Because those things make you examine your heart. But just, just the saddest part about the eldest son. Right in the beginning, when the father chose to separate, to give the, the younger son his inheritance, he took everything he had and divided it by the two of them, between the two of them. He didn't retain ownership of the older son's half. It was his to have. But by the end of the story, it becomes evident that the eldest son has never laid claim to his inheritance. The youngest son at least took his. He might have squandered it. He might have done whatever, but he lived out his inheritance. <coughs> in our country, there are many, many people who are living in abject poverty because they didn't know that they have an inheritance. Insurance companies are sitting on billions of rands because they never knew there was a policy that would pay out for the life of the insured. Unclaimed policies. Yeah, we have an unclaimed inheritance. Because the Father says to him, everything I have is yours because I gave it to you. When your youngest brother left, what was left was yours. Dr. Keith Johnson is on record as saying that the richest piece of real estate is the graveyard. Because the unclaimed inheritances, people died without spending the inheritance, the talents, the gifts, the opportunities that God has created have been buried with them. And the other son sits in the yard on his own angry, sulking, refusing to participate in what God has given him. And so, today I want to say to you, God longs for you. This is what he was in, intended when he called us sons and daughters. But what is it that keeps us from living in the fullness of what He intended for us? For me, one of the most amazing things is when my children come home is that they feel so at home in my home that they will help themselves to what I have. Okay, maybe not my car keys, but everything else is free game. <laughs> but it means that they are really at home that they are comfortable that's what God wants for us everything I have is yours Lord I'm struggling I'm not at peace today just look in the top cupboard in the top drawer on the left hand side you'll find the peace, take, take what you need Father I've got some mates who are hungry there's a need, and you know, just just look in the in the walk-in closet. Take take what your friends need. Ah, uh, Dad, I'm struggling. I have a fearfulness in me. Come here, let me help you. Here's the band-aid for fear. It's called faith. Lord, I'm sick. Dad, I'm sick. You know, just look there in that, that cupboard in the corner over there. This healing, it's your portion. Take what you need. Take what you need. But yet, we choose to live like the older son, sitting around the fire outside, waiting to eat when the servants are fed. Hoping that today, We'll get, a, we'll get a goat. We'll get a kid. You know what's interesting is when in that passage, if you read it through, in 
the Greek translations or from the Greek translations, when the oldest son says to him, you don't you won't give me a, a goat, but the father refers to him as a kid. And what the baby goat is a kid. And all he's looking for, but he's behaving like a child. He's behaving like a kid and not like the adult that God intended him to be. And so, today is your sitcha. What is your choice? Where, where are you at today? Are you sitting outside hoping for a meal? Hoping for a place of rest? Hoping for a place to be productive? You see, because from inside the house you go and you make sure that the servants are doing what they're meant to do outside the house you are the servant and God has said he calls us sons and daughters why would you give that up why would you give that up to be a servant And so, God's going to do what God's going to do, always. When he died on the cross, it was to save the sinners. Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to bring liberty to the oppressed. I've come to feed the hungry. That's never going to stop. That was his purpose and his plan and he's fulfilled it. No amount of sulking, no amount of anger, no amount of self-righteousness is going to stop him from doing what he does. The only question is, are you going to join the celebration? Because you see, there's a table at the banquet for you with your name on. And if you're not there, then today we're going to examine our hearts as to what stops me from feasting at the banquet with my father. For those of you who are online, I want to pray with you as we bring the service to a close. Father God, we just pray that right now you would pour out your spirit into each home, into each lounge, into each heart. Father, where there are hardened hearts, we pray, Lord, that you would soften them. Father God, where there are people who are not living in the fullness of what you had in store for them, bring them into your presence, Lord. Bring them into your peace. Father, let our country hear your plea that we do not harden our hearts. Father, we pray that you will unleash churches across this nation who will preach liberty to the oppressed. Father, your word says, whoever has fed these who are hungry has done it for you. Father, we pray, Lord, that we expand our reach. Father, those people who are reaching out continue to do so, that you empower them in ways that cannot be described. And Father, today we pray, Lord, for as our churches to be opened in full. Father, we stand up against our government. We stand up against oppression. We pray, Lord, that you will deliver us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close that. I just want to
I've had to, for the last couple of days, struggle through painfully the following passage. It's from Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. It says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offense, if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And today, as we sit here, as God's children, as the elder son, I want you to pray that prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Father, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me back to the banqueting table. And then in Ezekiel 36, verses 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, compassionate heart. That's my, my prayer for our country today. That we move away from this stony, stubborn heart. But that God will give us a, a heart of compassion. A responsive heart of compassion. And so if you want to respond to God today, I would like to pray with you. If you're saying, God, here I am. Take my stony heart. Take that which is not of you and replace it with what you will. I would love to pray with you today. Amen. So far. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.